Let's open our Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 12. We're going to finish up chapter 12 here this morning. Title of my message is The Family of God. That's a phrase that's used a lot in church, that the church is the family of God. John 3.16 says that when we believe in Jesus, we're born again. I love that. We are born anew. What that means is that your spirit comes into relationship with God and experiences spiritual life. It's not just a figure of speech, spiritual life. Before, the Bible says we were separated from God and actually spiritually dead. Even though it's interesting how people will say, well, I'm a a spiritual person. Have you ever heard somebody say that? We have often experiences that we think are spiritual, but they generally, and before we're born again, they are apart from God. And so that moment that you believed in the Lord, you came into fellowship with God that's when spiritual life actually began. The Bible says that we were adopted as sons, brought into the family of God. Also in Ephesians, it says that we are named in the family of God after the name of Jesus Christ. And you call yourself a Christian, it means you're saying that you are of Christ. You are of the family of God. There's so many scriptures that we could talk about in the New Testament that really talks about the fact that we are literally taken out of the world and placed into the family of God. I love that. And at first, you may not know what's really changed. But this morning, I want to talk to you about how important that is that literally old things are put away. The old way that you used to think, your old identity, the way you identified yourself, you are literally a new creation. And now with a new name, a new nature, a new heart, you begin to think and to live differently. The question is, what does that look like? What does that look like? You know, my my vision for this church when I became your pastor was that this church would be a place to grow in the love of God. A place to grow in the love of God. Not a place to just go to church or just a place to... Um, you know, experience exciting things, but that you are literally every time we're together growing. You are learning new things about the Lord. You're learning what that means about your life. And the Bible says that just as your children are growing, growing into maturity, you and I are growing in spiritual maturity. Each week, each month, each year, you should be becoming more mature. And it is my job to help you do that. And you will cooperate.
One of the important things uh, as your pastor to me is that not just, it's not just that you understand how you have changed, but how your relationships have changed within the church. Maybe you've told your, your kids to go do a chore or something and they say, well, I don't want to do that. And the phrase comes through my mind, look, you are a part of this family and you will contribute. <laughs> well, I don't want to. Well, if you're going to be a member of this family, well, I don't want to be a member. Of, well, you are. <laughs> you did choose to be a member of this family. And I want to tell you, as your dad, act like it. <laughs> I say that with all the love I can muster in that phrase. But just like you would talk to your children, you have privileges, but also responsibilities. As I go out to churches and I am speaking with pastors, and I will often do uh, entire staff training. I go down to uh, next month, I have to go to a church in California, which I've been to many times. And uh, that church went through a, a major upset about six years ago. They lost their pastor. Everything was in crisis. And our whole team at Poyman Ministries went in to give them a new start, to retrain the staff. And as I, I, am, I go back to that church yearly for a tune-up. And they have me come back, and as they get new staff, they say, Terry, we need you to come back. As, as simple as it sounds, one of the most important things to focus on in a healthy church is that the people learn how to work together. That sounds kind of simple, but you would be amazed at how many churches operate as a bunch of individuals because we're Americans and it's all about me and it's all about my fulfillment and my ministry. Now it's true that God has placed a unique calling on each of your lives, but in that uniqueness, you fit into the family of God. And it's not just how God wants to work through you individually, but he works through the, the church corporately. And people love the idea of being where God is working, in the middle of a church where a lot of exciting things are happening. But then they often just want to be left alone to do whatever they want to do. It is chronically difficult in churches and even corporations for people to cooperate and work together. Have you seen that? If you've been out in the workplace at a large corporation, you know how we have these rally team meetings. Everybody nods their head and then they go back to their cubicle and they do whatever they want to do. Amen. Each of you has a unique and important place 
to contribute to the family of God. Nobody can duplicate your gifts and your calling. So it's not just that it's some obligation or you better do this. It's that we need you. And it may take time to discover your place, your gifts, and how you contribute. You might try uh, serving in one area of the church, and it might not go well, and that's okay. That's just a process of discovery and sorting things out. But the goal as you mature and grow is that every one of us is a contributing member of the family of God. Did you hear me? I'll probably say this again a lot of times. But this is such a simple, simple principle in a healthy church. Is that you You don't just wake up and go, well, do I want to go to church? No, it's we need you to come to church. Because of what you bring and supply to a healthy church or to a healthy body. In this last part of Luke chapter 12, we're going to look at this morning. It is three important things that the Lord tells the disciples as he is preparing really the final months to go to the cross and go back to be with the Father. He's going to give them the ministry. And there's three things that he gives them that's going to make them more productive and effective in their ministry. And if I'm not doing these three things, I will fall back into an old pattern that's not productive in this life. You have your pens, your note app open, three things. The first one we actually looked at last week, and I'm just going to touch on it here for a minute. It's in verses 35 to 40. The first thing is to be watching for the Lord's return. Be watching for Jesus' return. And Jesus gives the disciples two illustrations, two parables, to help them understand the importance of being ready. Being ready. He tells a story about uh, the bride and groom going off to be married in a Jewish wedding. It could happen at any time in the evening. And after they would be done with the, the wedding ceremony, they would come back to the father's house where the groom has added a room onto his father's house where Jesus says, in my father's house are many mansions and I'm going to prepare a place for you. That was a very Jewish reference. And so the bride and groom could come back at any time to the father's house, knock on the door, and the servants of the house needed to be alert Because at any moment, they are going to come back to the house. And what's exciting about that is not just that they should be ready, but that the bride and groom were going to come and celebrate with the servants. Not start yelling at them and making demands, but saying, now we want you, the servants, to have a seat. And the bride and groom were going to start serving the servants of the house. So he's going, look, a party's going to break out at any time. I want you to be ready. 
I love that picture, don't you? Be ready. The second illustration, just of the same readiness, is that the, the master of the house, the father of the house, any of you, if you're you know, just going to be watching out for your house, that at any moment a thief could break in. And if you suspected at any moment that something sketchy is going on in your neighborhood, you are especially going to be watchful. Any noise goes on in my house, my wife is with me. She says, what was that? She has sharp ears. I'm going, I don't know. It was probably nothing. Well, why don't you go make sure? Watching. The importance of you and I knowing that you are going to see the Lord. That simple reality, when you get it, it changes how you live. Do you know that? Moms, how many times have you said, your dad's coming home? Now, you might say it to put the fear of God in them, the fear of dad. You just wait until your dad gets home. But Jesus is saying, be ready. This is exciting. At any minute, we could see the Lord face to face. And it does seem like we talk about this and the idea of the second coming of the Lord, it, it, it has as its seasons of popularity in the church. Right now, it's not a very popular thing to talk about. But I guarantee you, every time there are major earthquakes, wars, the signs of Matthew 24, do you know all of a sudden your non-Christian friends are going, is this it? Is this it? Russia, is this it? There, is, there are signs even this week of not only the wars, I mean, rumors of wars, that's old news, but also food shortages, famine, pestilence. Those three things are just old news. Don't you want something new to hear about besides Russia and war, uh, food shortages, and worldwide disease? It's become so common to us, and yet these are the things of the end times. Be watching for the Lord. Be ready. Be ready. The second thing that the Lord gives the disciples is to be working for the Lord. We're not just sitting around waiting. We are busy. We are working for the Lord. That's verses 41 to 48. Follow with me as I read those verses. Peter said to Jesus, to him, Lord, do you speak this parable to us only or to all people? And the Lord said, who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. Verse 45, but if that servant be, says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming 
and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and be drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him at an hour when he's not aware and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. Those are serious words, aren't they? And as we read through a hard passage of scripture like this, as I've said many times, and every time I stand in front of you, I want you to know that I am of a mind that I'm training you for ministry. Do you know that? You're in school right now. So the question is, how can each of you read the Bible and make sense of it for yourself? The Bible is not written in a verse-by-verse format originally. It was organized like that later. It is originally written in a thought-for-thought format, meaning long, like a long paragraph, and it has in that section that I just read a key point. And I could read through all of that and give you a lot of information and miss the key point. That's what we need to glean. What is the main thing I need to draw from this? And that is that the Lord has assigned to every one of us responsibilities. As I've said, maybe you're not sure what it is yet, but no one is left out. Your life has purpose not just in general, not just purpose in the world, or not just purpose within your family, but purpose within the family of God. And I'll say it again, you are a member of this family. And it is exciting to discover how God wants to use your life. And while it is exciting it is also then a responsibility. And there is a a complete reality of accountability. Because you say, Lord, how do you want to use my life? He shows you, and then you are accountable to him for doing that task. It's not whether you feel like it or not. Just as we're watching for the Lord There is a day in which you will see the Lord and give an account for what you did with the abilities, with the talents, with the gifts that God has given to you. And what's interesting in this story, the master has assigned job tasks, responsibilities to the servants of the house. That's us. He goes away on a journey. He comes back fully expecting to then say, what have each of you done 
with the resources, my resources, I've put into your hands. Well, Lord, you gave me this and I did this. We're just partners with the Lord. My ministry is not my ministry. My ability to teach is not some cleverness that I thought up. I'm fully aware that whatever is accomplished through my life is completely a gift from the Lord. So there's no place for me to stand around and try and take credit for it. It really kind of sickens me when I see pastors stand around and pat themselves on the back about all of their accomplishments. There's no place for it. And so when you're aware that you've been made the steward of the riches of God's grace, and you say, Lord, what's the best way I can use this? How would you direct me? You will get busy. I love in John 15, where Jesus is literally hours before the cross. And he tells the disciples, look, you didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear much fruit. I think that's that that phrase has always stuck with me in the ministry. Terry, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I like being chosen, right? That makes me feel pretty good. I must be pretty awesome. No, I'm not. So the Lord chose you. But here's the reality. If I chose the ministry, then I, whenever it's hard, what would I do? Just unchoose the ministry. But it's different if the Lord has chosen me and appointed me to do something. That changes everything. I don't just do it when I feel like it. It's not, well, it's hard now. There is an accountability to the Lord. And that is just the two sides of ministry. It's exciting to be chosen and gifted but then it is a responsibility then to give an account for the lord and you notice in that phrasing that the lord says that that there are different degrees of reward or punishment depending on how much you knew or didn't know do you know that while salvation is a free gift there is a reward for your service In the next life, the Lord rewards us for being faithful to what he's called us to do. It has nothing to do with salvation. That is not earned. It's it's a free gift of God. But in the next, there's actually going to be ongoing responsibilities throughout eternity. We're not going to just hang out on clouds and play harps and do nothing. There is going to be an eternity. There is going to be things to do and jobs given. Your responsibilities will reflect your faithfulness in this life. That's a big lesson. 
1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 14, about being part of the body of Christ. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized or immersed into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. 1 Corinthians 12, all of that chapter, you should read it. I use that often in staff training because it reminds us that every one of us is placed within the body of Christ, like our physical body, that's Paul's illustration, to say that everyone is both uniquely gifted and connected to the whole body. If any part of my body is disconnected, something's wrong, right? And yet, if any part of the body of Christ is cut off and disconnected, something is wrong. So be careful that you realize each of you, it contributes in an important and unique way, but you do it in a way that is connected to the whole functioning, coordinated body. And we're going to talk about that in the school of ministry coming up in a week and a half. Paul says in this, that we once were identified by old things, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. Paul's talking again about the old life. It's amazing to get a new life, literally a do-over. But I want you to know, as I said in the beginning, that your identity that was in the world is gone. And all this distinction we have in the world today of identity, whether it is by gender or by social class, and all of this discussion in the world, that's how the world thinks. In the body of Christ, your identity is Christ. You are now a child of God. So anything that made you above or lower or left out or more privileged in the world, none of those distinctions mean anything in, in the body of Christ. We are all equal. We are, are all loved and valued the same to God. Now, the problem is I might think of myself by those old distinctions of poor me or I got left out, and I have to learn to think as a child of God and not as I once was. I think this is really important in our culture of broken and dysfunctional and even abusive families. Because the children of those families see themselves as damaged and left out. And I've shared that before, that being the child of an alcoholic, that I was raised to think that anything good did not apply to me. 
That's just a basic impact of an abusive home. That any promise that was made to me as a child, I learned that promise was not going to be kept. Terry, next summer we're going to do this. Hey, Sunday we'll go do this. Hey, for Christmas I'll buy you one of these. When you hear a promise over and over that is not kept, a child begins to think, oh, I should stop expecting anything good to happen to me. That impact stays with you for life. Do you know that? It just becomes ingrained in who you are. And as a Christian, as an adult Christian, raised in that environment, you might basically believe what the Bible says about a future and a hope, Jeremiah 29, 11, but it doesn't apply to you. So you never actually expect God to do amazing things in your life. At some point, there has to be a a work of God's spirit in you to help you realize that truth in your own life that you are no longer slave, free. And in these various old cultures of Greek and Roman cultures, there were all these privileged classes People are desperately looking for identity today, aren't they? And so they are grasping at anything, any new label that will make them feel like they have an identity. And even when they put on themselves a wrong label or identity, there is some group out there that will try and affirm them. That's great that you you have the courage to step out and do that. Well, as much as people are trying to find themselves, it will never work. There is nothing in those artificial identities and labels. It's never going to satisfy the heart because what's missing is a relationship with God. That's what we want people to know, searching for purpose and identity out in the world. It will not work. Not you're evil or not you're a bad person, not you're point the finger and you're a sinner, you better repent. But there is something better than that false label and fake identity. What's missing is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So I see just a lot of that in our world, but especially Albany, of broken families and children that need to come into a new relationship with God. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. All things have become new. And it takes time to grow into that new life. The third thing that Jesus gives to the disciples, one is to be watching. Second is to be working. 
Third is to be wise concerning the events that are around us. Be wise. Don't be isolated in your little world. Let's pick up at verse 54. Jesus, it says, Then he also said to the multitude, Whenever you see a cloud rising out of the west, immediately you say, a shower is coming, and so it is. When you see the south wind blow, you say, there will be hot weather, and there it is. Hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it you do not discern the time? Yes, and why even yourselves, you do not judge what is right. When you go with your adversary to the magistrate, Make every effort along the way to settle with him, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge deliver you to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you shall not depart from there till you have paid every last mite. So a couple of lessons in that passage. One is to pay attention We didn't come into the family of God just to get away from the world. Now, historically in church history, there have been church groups who who have said, well, the world is so evil, we're just going to form our own little community and never associate with those bad people. That's not what the Bible teaches us to do. Jesus said to be in the world, but not of it. And as we are in the world, we're watching what's happening in the world. Last week, I talked a lot about end times events and the fulfillment of prophecy. So as you're watching the news today, anybody hear hear Russia in the news this week? Okay, that was a hard one. Anybody hear about Iran this week in the news? Nuclear weapons. Israel? Turkey? Last week, I said that that the leaders of Russia, Iran, and Turkey were going to meet this week, and they did. That is a significant shifting in Bible prophecy. Now, I know that all of this nations and the shifting and Magog and Gog and, and Persia and Tagarma and all this stuff of Ezekiel 38 and 39, it's, it's a lot of information, But you need to know basically that these are significant shifts. And so we need to be wise about the world that we live in. Things that are going on in our own country. The America that was founded is shifting. I believe that God formed America for a purpose in these last days. Did you know that Christopher Columbus was Jewish? He believed that God put in his heart to go find a new homeland for persecuted Jews in Europe. He felt that he was on a mission from God. Christopher means light bearer. And God has done an amazing, significant work in these past couple of hundred years through our country that over half of the signers of the Declaration of Independence were ministers 
Have you ever heard that before? People who say there should be a separation of church and state and there should be no influence of religion in government. We are here because of the influence of Christianity. If not for Christianity and the gospel, there would be no America. They knew that what we have is unique and for a special purpose at this time in world history. But they also knew it wouldn't last. They knew that it worked because there was a common moral standard that people all assented to and agreed to. And they knew that whenever the common standard of morality went away, everything would start to collapse. That is happening right now. And they knew that as morality collapsed, then lawmakers would have to write more and more laws to try and restrain crime. That's happening right now. I think that in the world, America has served an amazing purpose. We have been the restraint to globalism. But all that's been shifting in the last couple of years. We have to be wise about the world that we live in. You can't just go about your your life and say, well, I don't know about that stuff. And I'm sorry to say that so many ministers are ignorant of biblical events. I confess it is a lot to sort out. Years ago, we were on a tour in Israel and our Our guide was a Jewish believer, Christian, and we would say, well, what does this prophecy mean? And what does this prophecy mean? And he just would say to us over and over on our tour, well, it's hard to know till after it happens. But we know there is going to be a lining of nations in the end times before the Lord comes, and it's happening now. And I want you to know that we have to be watching, we have to be working, and we have to be wise. And I want you to know that you are not here for us to entertain you. You're a member of this family, and we need you. And you might say, well, what does that look like? You might just pray about it this week. And generally, it's under the areas of prayer, we need you to be praying. We need you to be serving. Whether it's a small thing or a big thing, that's between you and the Lord. And we need you to be giving. In general, those are the three areas that we're all participating in. And and I will just say, as, as I'm kind of closing it up here and we respond to the Lord, that in those three categories, praying, serving, and giving, all of you have a strength in one of those three areas. We're all doing all three of those in some small degree. But some of you are amazing prayer warriors, we call you, and you are praying all the time. Some of you are just amazingly strong at prayer. 
you outpray the rest of us and you put us to shame. God bless you. Others of you are just um, monsters at service. Man, anything, I'll do that. I'll do that. What needs to be done? VBS, I'll do that. Drive those kids home, I'll do that. It's amazing to see there's always in a healthy church certain core that does 90% of the work. That's kind of normal. But it's also normal that in giving, there are those in the church, while we're all giving our portion and our 10%, there's always a few that are especially gifted at giving. And if that's you, that's a unique gift. And every church has those people that really helps to sustain and increase the capacity of the church. At the pastor's conference this week, I spoke with uh, a pastor in a small town in Oregon that is out of the way and even a depressed community. He says, Terry, in these past couple of years, uh, two older couples have come to our church and they are giving. We have a half a million dollars that these people have suddenly given. I don't even know what to do with the money. So I had a few opinions. (laughs) But it's amazing just to see, let me say, it's a horrible feeling for a pastor to feel like he has to beg people to pray or to give or to serve. I, I hate that feeling. But it's exciting when suddenly people are are just jumping at opportunities to pray. Man, we're praying. I love that about our church has a verbatim prayer page and you guys are posting there. I need prayer for this. I need prayer for this. I love the high percentage of people in our church that volunteer. That's amazing. Easter egg hunt, the VBS that we just had. We've got a lot of people that serve. It's amazing. And your giving For the church our size, you are good givers. For the church our size, you are good givers. And I'm just going to ask that, I'll just tell you, all three of those things need to increase. Because there is a bigger work for us to do. And as the Lord puts it in your heart, just say, okay, I'll do that. And over the years of ministry, it's amazing to see how God works. And I want you to know that we're all doing this together. We, we have a partnership in the ministry. And your part is so important. And that's how a healthy church operates. Amen.